This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Our hour of mystery begins with Danger with Granger this week. We'll hear his story, The Wandering Weapon Case. After that, it's Rogues Gallery and Favor for a Condemned Man. His story from April 4th, 1946. Come over, Max. Come on in. Thank you. You're doing me a big favor. You know, I never knew that you were interested in firearms. Oh, I've made a hobby of them, you know, just like Charles. Takes the boredom out of flying. Well, I'm very grateful to you. Charles has been gone for some time, and it was a good idea of yours. His collection is beginning to look a little rusty. Look, see for yourself. Hey. Hey, you're right. It's a pretty fine collection your husband's got. He brought quite a few of these back from Europe. That's a Belgian rifle, eh? Hey, here's a tip. Never saw one of these before. Well, that's a Swiss rifle. It loads through the stock. How about this little twenty-five caliber automatic? Oh, that's a Belgian Browning. One of those five-shot gadgets. Hey, Max, you think this gunsmith of yours can fix all these so they're in good repair? Yeah, sure, he won't have any trouble at all. Of course, Charles might not like my handing these. Well, out. friends and Eddie won't mind a bit. Oh, very well, and we'll take them along, Max. When will they be ready? Uh, about a week, I should say. Won't Charles be surprised? <laughs> Hello, long distance. I want to place a call to Plaza 59970, New York. Plaza 59970? Yeah. I got the Browning automatic for you. You owe me 1,000 bucks. This is Steve Granger, private detective, with a story about a little gun that made a trip from California to New York, where it committed murder and set off as fancy a frame rule as I've ever seen. In just a moment, I'll take you back to one of my most interesting cases. This is Granger. I was seated in my office with a young woman opposite me, a fresh-faced girl of about 27, named Annette Sanford. She sort of had a cheerful smile on her face to go with the complexion. But then people rarely smile when they pay a visit to a private eye. Mr. Granger, I want you to free my husband, Charles, of a murder charge. Murder charge? Where? When? Right here in New York. And the killing took place just a few days ago. But I know that Charles can't be guilty, even though the police have a lot of evidence against him. Give me some details, Mrs. Sanford, then I'll know if I can help or not. Very well. The murdered girl was a friend of mine named Nina Prince. She worked for an airline. Yeah? I asked Charles to drop in and bring her a dress I'd promised her. I was out of town at the time. I traveled for a living. Yeah, go on. Well, this is what happened, according to Charles. He's always very meticulous about messages, so he took the dress and went over to Nina's place. He knocked on her door, and when it was opened, he said straight into the eyes of a police officer. Who are you? What do you want? Why, uh, well, my name is Charles Sanford. I, I brought over this... Oh, holy smoke. Is that Nina? You know her? Of course, she, she, she's a friend of my wife. She was a friend of your wife's, mister. She's got five bullets in her. She's dead in a herring and a tin. What's your name? Uh, uh, Charles Sanford. Got a card? Some sort of identification? Yes, sure, but, but why? I'm ranking of homicide. Oh, uh, well, uh, here, uh, my, my wallet. It's got my driver's license in it. Thanks. Mm, California driver's license. You from the West Coast? Uh, yes, Burbank. Got a permit to carry a gun, too, I see. Oh, well, uh, that's more for laughs. It's it's not much of a gun. It's just a Browning twenty-five caliber automatic. Oh, just a twenty-five caliber Browning, huh? Recognize this? Yeah, it's gun just like mine. Would you mind giving me back my wallet? Don't be in such a hurry. Gun number four seven six eight one six. Registered to Charles Sanford by the Burbank Police Department. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what? And the number on this Browning automatic I'm holding in my hand is 476816. You, you mean that's my gun? Prove something else, Sanford. Hey, I'm getting out of here right this time. Oh, no, you're not. You're not going anyplace, Sanford. Well, I, I don't know anything about this. Let, let me go. All right. 
right, mister. Now you can run all you like, Sanford. These are handcuffs. And you're under arrest on suspicion of murder. That's the story Charles told me, Mr. Granger. Has your husband got an alibi of any kind? How do you explain about his gun being the murder weapon? Well, I can explain that. Several weeks ago, a man I know in California stopped by to pick up Charles's gun collection. What for? Well, he said he knew a gunsmith who would put them in good shape. I wanted to give my husband a surprise. Who is this man? His name is Max Carey. He's a freelance flyer. Freelance flyer? He owns his own plane. He goes on charter trips. Is he still in California? Because he's going to have a lot of explaining to do about how that gun got to New York. He's in Denver right now. Is he going back to California? I don't think so. I heard he was coming here. You told the police the story about the gun? Yes, I spoke to a Lieutenant Rankin. What did he have to say? Nothing. He thinks Charles is guilty. Okay, Mr. Sanford, I'll drop down and see the Lieutenant. Jake Rankin and I happen to be old friends. So you see, Granger, all we have to prove is that Sanford got the gun back. I think you're doing a lot of wishful thinking, Jake. Why would Sanford walk back to the scene of the crime just after the killing? Why would he show you the gun permit? That was an accident. It could also be the act of an innocent man. You contacted that pilot who originally got the gun from Mr. Sanford? He's in Denver. The airport can't locate him. Send the police are looking for him. Worried, aren't you? Granger, this case is not going to fall apart, and I know it. You don't know anything of the kind. How about letting me talk to Charles Sanford? Suppose I don't. Who's his attorney? All right, all right. Franken pushed a button, told the answering voice to take me down to the cell occupied by Charles Sanford. As the turnkey opened the door, I got my first look at him. A medium-height, sandy-haired man with a frightened expression on his face. Who, who are you, a, a lawyer? Sorry, I'm not. Now, your wife asked me to do a little work for you. I'm Steve Granger, private eye. Oh. Now, what about the gun Rankin found in Prince's uh, room? Got any idea how it got there? None whatever. If you're a Californian, what are you doing here? Oh, I, I, I'm a writer, I... I got an assignment to come here and do some stuff for a national magazine. Your wife came with you, is that it? Uh, no, no. She, she has a draw, job traveling. She, she's an auditor for a chain of stores. She had to come here for several months. It, well, it worked out very well until now. What else can you tell me? Nothing. Except I'm innocent. Where were you at the time of the shooting? On my way to Nina Prince's. <laughs> I don't know, Rankin. In my book, Sanford isn't the killer. In the police book, he is. I gave him a piece of advice. You told him to get a lawyer, I suppose. Did I? Granger, why don't you mind your own business? Why should I when other people's business makes a living for me? I'll continue with this interesting story in a minute. Headquarters and my fretful friend, Jake Rankin, and headed for the hotel where Mr. and Mrs. Sanford parked their traveling bags. When I got Annette Sanford on the phone from the lobby, I asked her to join me in the cocktail lounge. Did you talk to my husband, Mr. Granger? Do you think he's innocent? Very probably, Mrs. Sanford, but it's going to take some proving. If I were you, I'd get a lawyer. Uh, he can get your husband out on bail. Are you sure? That Lieutenant I'm Rankin... Just talking. He has no actual proof that your husband killed the Prince girl. The lawyer will have him free in a matter of minutes. Very well, I've seen the attorney I know. Now, uh, how did your husband get acquainted with the Prince girl? I introduced them. I've known Nina for several years. Huh? When we came to New York, I looked her up. And what does she do for a living? She was employed by an airline as a supervising hostess. Oh, did she know this pilot to whom you gave the guns? Yes, I believe so. Do you think Max might have killed Nina? Not if he's in Denver. Who else knew the girl who could have known about the gun collection? Let me see. Um, there's Gretchen Holling. She works for the same airline Nina worked for. Yeah. And a pilot named Brian Talbot. He knew about the guns and... Well, I guess that's all. Yeah, thanks, Mrs. Sanford. I'll go to work on these people. And you get that attorney. I got some addresses from Mrs. Sanford and started checking on the people she'd mentioned. Gretchen Holling was out of the city, too. Brian Talbot was in New York, but not in his apartment. An apartment he shared with the missing pilot, Max Carey. Late in the day, I got a break. A tip that Carey was on his way back to New York. 
I ascertained that he would be landing at Newark Airport and went over there to wait for him. I watched this certain plane with more than ordinary interest. It rolled to a stop and the pilot climbed down from the cockpit. A tall man with a shock of unruly blonde hair. A pilot named Max Carey. You want to see me? Yeah, yeah. You're Max Carey, aren't you? Yeah. My name is Steve Granger. I want to talk to you about a certain gun collection you got from Mrs. Sanford. What about it? What did you do with the collection? To my apartment in California. You didn't by any chance bring a twenty-five caliber Browning automatic to New York, did you? No. I hope you can prove that. Because Charles Sanford is in jail on a murder rap. Murder? A girl named Nina Prince was shot with a twenty-five. It was Sanford's bad luck to walk into her apartment right after the shooting. No, this isn't good. What can I do? A number of things. You can go to the police first, and you can... That won't be necessary, Granger. I'll take it from here. Hiya, Rankin. This is Max Terry, the pilot that took the... I know who he is. Terry, I want you to come down to headquarters and make a statement. You're a police officer? I am, and I want a statement from you right now. Mind if I come along, Rankin? I certainly do. Okay, let's get started. I ignored the lethal look from a surly Lieutenant Rankin, and then just trotted like a faithful hound behind him and Max Carey. Down at headquarters, Carey told a straightforward story that had no loopholes anyplace. You say you haven't seen the gun for two weeks. That's right. I've been flying out of New York. That DC-3, your own plane? Yeah. I took on a charter for Denver a week ago. You can prove that, no doubt. Sure, I checked in the Denver airport. You can phone them if you like. Never mind what I like. Let's get back to the gun collection. Look, I told you everything I know. Gun should be in my apartment in California. I live in Burbank, not far from the terminal. <clears throat> right, and could I make a suggestion? Go ahead. Carrie, would you have any objection to the Burbank police getting into your apartment and looking around? Not at all. Anything the police do is okay with me. I left Lieutenant Rankin busying himself over a long-distance call to the Burbank police and went back uptown. I stopped in to see Cal Hendricks, feeling the newspaper man might come up with something. Hiya, Stevie boy. What gives in the gumshoe game? Cal, I got a very weird little case. A woman is shot here in New York with a twenty-five caliber automatic, which is registered to a man in California. Well, well, the case of the wandering weapon. Right after the shooting, the guy who owns the gun suddenly arrives on the scene. Ah, too good to be true, huh? So I feel. The tale goes on. The guy's wife gave this gun with some others to a pilot friend to have them cleaned as a surprise for the husband. Well, how dumb can you get? Giving away guns. Maybe this pilot's your guy. No, uh-uh, he's got an alibi. He was in Denver. The personnel in this case of yours sure do get around the country, don't they? Yeah. Well, is there anything you want me to do? No, I just dropped in to sort of, uh, chat it over. Well, that's very flattering, Stevie. But, you know, I'm a newsman. I can't live on talk. My editor needs stories. Otherwise, I don't eat. So up. Up on your feet, friend, and get to it. Well, how do you like that? I walk in here as a private eye. I walk out as leg man for a news report. I headed back for my office and made a phone call. Hi, Mr. Oh, this is Granger. Oh, I'm glad you called, Gumshoe. I just talked to the police at Burbank. Now, what did they find? Max Curry's apartment had been broken into. The guns were taken, huh? No, no. Just a little automatic and another one. Along with some clothes and other odds and ends. Hmm. Also, I just got the report from ballistics. Right here in New York. But he was in California one week ago. Uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. Too, too clearly, dear Lieutenant. That really puts the guy on the spot. I hung up and sat back. This was adding up to an extremely black mark against Sanford. If Rankin could prove that Sanford had been near Carey's apartment in California, he could make a murder rap stick. And my client would be minus one husband. In just a moment, I'll bring you the climax of the case. I sat in my office with a furrowed brow and a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. This case was not going the way it should. And what was worse, I didn't know just the best way to handle things from here on. Then the phone shrilled. Hello? Steve Granger? Yeah, who's this? I got a tip for you on the Prince killing. Go on. You might as well drop out, see, because Sanford really shot and killed her. Prove it, whoever you are. Go to the Sanford apartment at that hotel. Go through the place. You'll find something interesting. Uh, hello? Hello? Any 
tip in a murder case is a tip worth following up. I went uptown to the hotel where the Sanfords lived. Two minutes with an assistant manager and I had a key to the place. In the bottom drawer of the chest, I found a gun. An off-caliber European type many years old. This was probably one of Charles Sanford's collection. I tucked it into a coat pocket when the door opened. The intruder tossed a quick shot at me and slammed the door. By the time I made it to the door and got to the hall, the man had disappeared. All right, Granger. What's the shooting for? Some character fired at me, Rankin. You see anybody run down the hall? No, and get back inside. What? You and I are going to have a little chat. Good. Now then, Granger, what are you doing in the Sanford's apartment? I could ask you the same question, Rankin. I got a telephone call that said you were about to break and enter. I got a call, too, telling me to come here. Uh, huh? Granger. What? What's that bulge in your coat pocket? That? Well, it's a gun. You always carry two guns? Now, look, I can explain. Let about... me see that gun. Okay, here. Yeah, I thought so. This gun is part of Sanford's collection. You found it here, didn't you? Yeah. You were going to take this beauty and hide it, weren't you? I was not. Because this makes a lie out of Sanford's statement that he hasn't seen any of his guns since he left California. Don't be too sure about that, Rankin. And that gunshot. You know, Granger, I think you did that yourself. I don't believe anybody fired anything at you. Okay, Rankin, here's my gun. If it's been fired, I'll eat it. Bullets and all. I hauled out my own weapon. Rankin made his inspection and grudgingly agreed that it hadn't been fired. We went on a hunt for the would-be killer. But no one around the hotel had seen anyone acting suspicious. Rankin went back to police headquarters, taking the gun I'd found with him. I made my way to the building where Max Carey lived. What do you want? You've been around the hotel where the Sanfords live, Carrie? No. You didn't call me at my office? Listen, Grange, are you trying to tie me in with the murder of Nina Prince? Uh, you could have faked that robbery of your apartment in California. Don't get ideas, mister. Just stay out of my hair or you get into trouble. Like what? Like my hanging one on your lights like this. Okay. That's the way you want it. <laughs> but I'd caught myself a totter, a strong, healthy man who knew exactly what to do with his hands. Now, get out and stay away from me. I felt myself for bruises, discovered a few, and got out of the building. I still had a hunch about Kerry, a feeling that he wasn't as much on the level as he seemed. I got a cab and went over to the Newark airport, where he kept his plane. This was the hangar where Kerry kept his ship. I could see a mechanic working on one of the engines. What can I do for you, mister? You work for Max Kerry? Not in the way you think. I'm Brian Talbot. His roommate? Yeah. He's been having some trouble with one of the engines here. I came over to work on it for you. Yeah? Why, you want to charter a flight or something? No, not just now. Because no. if you did, he's tied up for the next week. He's taking a run down south. Where? I'm sorry, that's confidential. I know enough about airplanes to be able to tell when a man is working on one of the engines. Brian Talbot wasn't. I got out of sight, hung around, and when he left the airport sometime later, I stayed right behind him. When Talbot got back to Manhattan, he didn't head for his apartment and went downtown instead. I was more than a little surprised when his cab pulled up in front of the rooming house where Nina Prince had been shot to death. I made one mistake. I let Talbot catch a glimpse of me, after which he got back in the cab and went home. I talked to Nina Prince's landlady. By the judicious use of equal parts of flattery and threats, I managed to get into Nina Prince's room. And behind the dresser, stuck to its back, I came up with a batch of letters and a connection between the dead girl and two men. Max Carey and Brian Talbot. I took the letters down to Jake Rankin. So what are these supposed to prove, Granger? Jake, they proved the girl knew both Carey and Talbot. Also, if you get a dictionary and study the words in the letters carefully, you'll find that Talbot had been paying the girl off. I can do without the sarcasm, Gumshoe. The point is, why was he paying her off? That, my dear lieutenant, is for you and your minions to discover. Okay. I'll have the two of them brought down for questioning. I got a better idea, Rankin. Let me talk to Sanford once more. Sanford, you're going to tell me something that might clear you of this murder charge. Oh, what do you want to know? How well do you know Max Carey and Brian Talbot? I've known them for several years. Were you ever in business with either one of them? What's that got to do with it? Answer the question. Well, I, I was in with Carey and Talbot for a while, but I, I, I pulled out. Because they were engaged in something illegitimate? Well, I, I, I don't want to say anything that might involve me... you. <laughs> Remember, you're stuck in a murder rep now. Rankin has really got something on you. He found another gun out of your collection in your apartment. I didn't put it there. I haven't seen any of those guns for a long time. The jury won't believe that. 
Okay, now let's have it. All of it, the whole truth about your business deal with Kerry and Talbot. What it was and why you pulled out. Sanford gave out, and what he told me made me positive that either Max Carey or Brian Talbot had killed Nina Prince. But it was a small matter of proving my contention. I went to their apartment, hung around outside until they left. A pass key opened their door. I moved inside and looked around. I really gave that place to one over, but found no sign of what I was looking for until I got into the kitchen. There, I came on a round carton of oatmeal. But this container held no oatmeal. Instead, it was filled with just about two pounds of narcotics. I was wrapping the cotton in a newspaper when I heard the noise at the door. Carrie and Talbot were coming into the other room. I shrank up behind the kitchen door. Listen, Max, we've got to do something about that Granger fellow. He's finding out things about it. Finding out things about you is what you really mean. You're in this as deep as I am, and don't forget it. Oh, no, I'm not. You mailed that gun to me from Burbank, didn't you? Yeah, but I didn't shoot Nina Prince. That was your little idea. Carrie. Yeah? You're trying to be funny. You wouldn't pull a gag on me, would you? What are you talking about? Just this. If I get caught, you get caught, too, because I'm going to talk and understand plenty. I could see the two men facing each other in the living room. The air was tense. Max Carey stood in a funny, stiff way. Brian Talbot was facing him, his face white and drawn. You talk about what, Brian? Nobody's got anything on me. Except smuggling. You don't get the electric chair for smuggling. But the penalty is stiff enough, Carey. Couldn't carry you two up with your hands. You were listening, eh? I was. Come on, Carey. There are two of us. He's alone. Yeah. Don't try. Oh, no. Hey. <laughs> well, friends, that's the story. I'll be back to wrap up the case in just a minute. Both men had rushed simultaneously. I caught Carrie with one shot, then let Talbot have it with a gun butt. I phoned Rankin at headquarters and turned the two men over to him. Talbot on a charge of murder, Carrie on a smuggling rap. Charles Sanford was released, and I dropped in to see Cal Hendricks. Hey, you got that cat who swallowed the canary look, Stevie. So you have in a minute, my boy. I got your story for you. You wound up the Sanford case? Uh-huh. The pilots, Carrie and Talbot, were guilty. Well, come on, more details. My editor's greedy. He likes all the dope. Dope is right. I got a story out of Sanford in my last talk with him. He'd been in on a deal with the other two. Smuggling. Narcotics? That's it. They'd frame a charter flight to Mexico, pick up a load, and bring it back. And Sanford was in on it? Until he found out what they were really doing. Then he pulled out, threatened to expose them. So they killed Nina Prince, who knew about it too. Had been blackmailing them. Framed Sanford for the killing. Not bad, not bad at all. Anything else you know, unusual angles on the case? Well, there's uh, one more neat twist. You know how they'd been bringing the dope in? Hidden in the hub of a propeller. That's a new one. Hey, my editor's gonna love this. I'll be able to eat for the rest of next week. Well, you'll do better than that, Cal. You'll feed me, too. Steve Granger again. You've just heard one of the most interesting cases in my files. And I'll have another one for you. So be around next time. W. Fitch Company, makers of Fitch's saponified coconut oil shampoo and Fitch's shaving creams, presents Dick Powell as private investigator Richard Rogue in Rogue's Gallery. Rogue speaking. As I walked down the corridor of the death house, the butterflies in my stomach were doing a soft shoe dance to the beat of a dirge. In a half hour, Mike Royal, the man I was about to see, would die of sitting in a chair. An occupational disease common to the business of murdering. This was not my idea of a pleasant way to start an evening, but that's the way it was. I was there by special request of the condemned man and completely in the darkest of why. When the guard and I reached the cage, Mike Royal was standing there with his face squeezed into the bars. Already they had slit his trouser leg and shaved his head, so 50,000 volts could enter quickly without knocking. Here we are, Rogue. Thanks, Hanson. Hello, Mike. Oh, 
Thank God you're here, Rogue. I, I didn't know if they let you come. I got here as fast as I could. Go on in, Rogue. But you've only got five minutes. Orders. Okay. That's all we need. Well, Mike? Has he gone? Listen, Rogue. You've got to help me. Now, Mike, your lawyer's throwing the book at them. Every appeal's been turned down. What can I do for you? I- I'm not talking about something for me. I want you to help somebody else. Who? My kid. Didn't know you had a kid, Mike. Yeah, yeah, a girl. Florence. She's, she's 14. In the parochial school at Arlington. Father Shane knows. You must help me get some money for her, Rogue. Well, sure, Mike, sure. The press boys will chip in. We'll get up a little no, benefit. Oh, you'll get up nothing. I, I don't want a handout. But, Mike... Listen, you... listen, listen. I, I only have a minute left. Now, I want you to get the reward money and split it with her. Ten grand for her and... Five for you, huh? Oh, save your breath, Mike. The insurance company isn't paying 15000 for your pals, even if you do turn them in. They'll only pay for the return of the stones. I ain't talking about the stones. I wouldn't sing on my pals. You know, you know that, and they know it. But what they don't know is where the stones are. And I do, and I'm going to tell you. Why not tell the cops? Because I want her to get the money, you hear? I've never done anything for her all the time that I was alive. And now, now that I'm as good as dead, I can. You hear? Yes, Mike. I, I killed a man, and, and I'm ready to burn for it. Well, that, that's okay. But wherever I'm going and whoever I have to answer to, I, I can face it better if I check out doing something decent. You're the only one who can help me, Rogan. Well, you've just got to give me a break. Okay, Mike, okay. I'll do what I can. Not for you now, but for your kid. Where do I get the stone? An angel will hand them to you. Now come back to Earth, will you, Mike? Where do I get the stones? An angel will hand them to you. An angel, huh? I see. Yeah, I get it. That's all I can tell you, Rogue. That's all I can tell you. Okay, Mike, anything you say. Time's up, Rogue. Right, Hanson. Promise me you'll do it, Rogue. Sure I will, Mike, sure I will. Anything you say. Yeah, yeah. And split it. Ten and five, huh? Sure. Anything you say. Yeah. Rogue. Yeah? So long, Mr. Rogue. So long, Mike. That was very nice of you, Mr. Rogue. Oh, Father Shea. <laughs> I didn't see you. I just couldn't help hearing you promise to do something for Mike. I don't know what it is, but I can see your heart's in the right place. Father, you haven't been worrying about me. I confess I was beginning to. You know, you've been pretty close to the line of the law. (laughs) Always just inside, Father. I think you can stop worrying. Perhaps I will. Granting a dying man's last wish is a good sign. A very good sign. Well, the least I could do was say I would. Say you would? You mean you're not going to? I would if I could, Father, but I'm no crystal ball. I can't read his mind. Mike's got angels and his daughter and $15,000 all mixed up in his mind like farmer's salad. Perhaps I can find out what he means and tell you. No, Father. Mike told me to go see an angel. But I'm not quite ready to meet the angel. Yet. Father Shea turned and walked back to Mike's cell. Then Hanson, the guard, joined me. And we started down the corridor. Our Father, our Father, who art who in, heaven, in heaven, hallowed be, hallowed thy, name. be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. I could hear Father Shea and Mike praying together. Oh, I wished I could help Mike's kid. But I couldn't see myself getting mixed up in this thing, even if it did have a payoff. No, sir. I couldn't see it. The prison gates clanged behind me, and I grabbed a cab. Told the driver where to go and leaned back with my thoughts. I thought of four big shining diamonds. I thought of a $15,000 reward. And of a little girl in parochial school. And of her father, who had made a death house will and testament naming me executive. And I thought of Father Shea's eyes when he thought I was backing out on my promise. And that one screwy line of Mike's. An angel will hand them to you. But anyway, I looked at it. 
All it added up to was a headache. By the time I got home, I was I was plenty tired. Maybe in the morning it would make sense. What I needed now was sleep. I went up to my apartment, walked in, and speaking of angels, there in my favorite armchair sat what appeared to be at least a very reasonable facsimile. A dark-eyed, red-headed dame who smiled and said, Hello. The manager let me in. I said I was an old friend. You're not seeing things. Uh, that's what you think. Who poured you into that gown? Won't you come in? I won't bite you. Oh, thanks. I'm a barking dog myself. Won't you sit down? Thank you. Oh, uh, here's your purse. Thank you. I make it a point never to sit on ladies' purses, especially when there's a gun in them. Might go off. All right, baby, what is this? We'll continue our story in just a moment. But first, here's something a woman told us the other day. I like Fitch's saponified coconut oil shampoo for a special reason. And that is that it, well, it always leaves my hair smelling so fragrant and clean. Yes, lady, that is important, more than most people realize. For it's a fact, your scalp perspires too. And the hair collects and holds odors, dust, and dirt. But there's no need to risk offending with scalp odor when regular use of Fitch's saponified coconut oil shampoo will keep your hair fresh and clean. This clear, golden, liquid shampoo makes mountains of delicately fragrant lather that quickly washes away every bit of dust, dirt, and scalp odor. Your hair is left smelling fresh, sweet, and clean. And it will be radiantly lustrous, too. For Fitch's saponified shampoo contains a special patented rinsing agent. This rinsing agent ensures that no dull, soapy film will be left to mar the luster of your sparkling, clean hair. Ask for a bottle of Fitch's saponified shampoo at your drug or toilet goods counter, or have a professional application at your beauty shop. Now back to Dick Powell as private investigator Richard Rogue in Rogue's Gallery. <laughs> I'm not the type who expects handouts from angels. So when Mike Royal told me, just before he was executed, that an angel would hand me the Maris diamonds, I was as groggy as a New Year's morning. But when I reached my apartment, there sat something that looked very much like an angel. Until I found a gun in her purse. You're very clever, aren't you? Well, the uh, doctors at Yale and Harvard are both bidding for my head when I die. I might give one to each. Anything else you'd like to know? Yes, what did Mike Royal tell you? Mike Royal? I didn't come here to play games. Oh, what a pity. What did he tell you? Now, listen, baby. I don't know who you are or what you want, but I haven't got it. You're poison, and I don't want any part of you. Now, beat it before my fists get out of control. And take your water gun with you. As soon as I empty the water. There you are. Now, crawl back under your rock. Now, listen. Mike Royal told you something. And you're in this whether you like it or not. I don't work alone and my friends play rough. Baby, I don't care how rough your friends play. We knew Mike would talk before he died. We tailed every visitor and tapped his lawyer's phone. We knew when he sent for you. You were the last guy to see Mike alive and we also knew you wouldn't tell the cops. Because you love a greenback more than anything in the world. That's right. I love greenbacks. 15,000 of them. 15,000? For the arrest of the Maris vault breakers and killers of the guard, and for the return of aforementioned jewelry. It wouldn't be easy to find those persons. For 15 grand, I'll work hard. So that's it. Little boy scout catches the gang, turns in the stones, and collects the merit badge. And 15,000. The stones worth half a million that you can turn in now for 100,000 cash. Is that smart? Play along and we'll be rich. We? Who's we? You and me. Don't you think we could get along? Well, uh, I, uh, I shouldn't be surprised. What about the rest? Your, uh, your friends? They're on their own. I said you and me. We could go away somewhere together. Think of it, Rogue. A hundred thousand dollars. Hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's a lot of move. You can have anything you want, Rogue. Anything you want. Just you and me all the way. 
Well, what do you say? I, uh, I'm hanging on the ropes, baby. I keep punching. Look outside. It's snowing. It's cold. But in Florida, it's warm. In Bermuda, all year round. It's getting warmer right here. What did Mike tell you? How do I know you're on the level? Here's a down payment. Baby. Then it hit me. Oh. The guy must have flown out of the closet like a moth. A two-legged moth. Swinging a sap that caught me over the right ear. Every steeple in the world began chiming nine o'clock. The hands of one big clock kept whirling around like a propeller. With me, stuck like a hunk of gum on the end of the minute hand. Then the clock fell over on its back. I was still whirling. But now the hands of the clock were a merry-go-round. Faster and faster and faster. And there I was, on cloud eight. My home away from home, where my old friend, my alter ego, Yugor, was waiting for me. Oh, oh, hello. Hello, Yugor. Say, Yugor, do you know any angels? <laughs> What's the matter, Rogi? Don't you like the company you've been keeping? An angel with a with a handful of diamonds? Hey, Rogi, you'd better get back downstairs. You're in trouble. But what did Mike mean? I I can't figure it out. Use your head, Rogie. No, I did, I did. For a baseball. Somebody batted it for the circuit. That's why I'm here. Go on back, Rogie. All they want is what you know. Tell them, Rogie. It won't mean any more to them than it does to you. But you, Gora. Over the side you go, Rogie. So long, you go. So long, Rogie. <laughs> Come on, Rogue. What'd he tell you? Come on or I'll beat it out of you. Did you see Mike Royal tonight? Yes. Yes, I I saw him. Did he say anything about the jewels? Did he say they were in a vault? Did he say they were in a safety deposit box? Did he say he gave them to a fence? Who did he say you'd get them from? Uh, from an angel. What? Uh, an angel. Ah, uh, nuts. All he gives us is double talk. I'll slap it out of him if I have to slap his head off. Well, maybe he really doesn't know. He knows plenty. He's seen us, hasn't he? Wait a minute. Listen, Rogue. I'm going to give you one chance more. Who did Mike say would give you the jewels? Uh, an angel. Oh, Joe, take care of him. Almost can. I've got to dance at the club in 20 minutes. I don't want them to think there's anything wrong. Keep him here. I'll be back. Okay, leave him to me. Just be careful, Joe. <clears throat> Now, brother, I don't want to hear no more talk about angels. Well, then stop asking. I'll keep asking till I get a straight answer. No more funny talk. What did Mike tell you? Here we go again. Sure we do. Until you talk. I'm going to ask you just ten questions. One with each knuckle. What did Mike tell you? What did Mike tell you? Come on, talk! <laughs> He hit me with everything he had. I went sailing across the room, three sheets in the wind. I hit the wall and fell to my knees, grabbing at the telephone table for support. And then the phone fell off the cradle. Hang up that phone. And I did. Hung it right on his head. No! He went down like the 29 stock market. And now something besides Joe's fist was connecting in my head. Madge said she had to dance at a club. Mike Royal used to hang around the Cherub Club. The Cherub Club. It was a shot in the dark, but I couldn't stop now. I looked at Joe sleeping on the floor. His return train from the land of dreams wouldn't leave for at least an hour. So I let out for the Cherub Club. Mike Royal had tagged me, and I guess I was it. 
whether I wanted to play or not. Throw him again, Mr. Rogue. Yeah, uh, throw him again. Pause your point again. You're kind of fun to that number, ain't you? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know why. Six. Pick him up, Mr. Rogue. Huh? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Say, why don't you keep your mind on this game? Gonna watch the floor show? Watch the floor show. Gonna play dice? Play dice. I'm sorry, Sam. I... Just looking the club over. Looking it over? Thinking of buying in or something? No, it's just that I see a lot of changes since I was here last. All for the worse, too. Yeah. Nobody to look after the place since Mike Royal got in trouble and left. Poor Mike. Hey, Mike did hang around here a lot, didn't he? Huh? Sure. He was general handyman. Dull the place up. Fixed props for the gals in the line. Mike was always puttering around. Busy little man. Yeah. Too busy. Come on, Mr. Rogue. Throw the dice. Your point's four. Seven out. Want to go again? No. Uh, just a minute, Sam. Say, uh, you got a dancing doll here who answers to the name of Madge? Madge? Sure. She's out on the floor now. Uh, in that line? Hmm. Second from the end. Oh. In the devil costume, you mean, with the uh, pitchfork? No, that's Lil. Madge is on the other side. The angel with the wings and the crown. Angel? Oh. Yeah. They haven't changed that hungry number for three months. Since before Mike left. I can't look at it anymore. Angel, huh? Hey, Sam. Sam, I got ten bucks that says you can't tell me how to get backstage. I'll take that bet. Huh? Oh. Hello, Joe. I thought I left you in dreamland. I'm a light sleeper. What are you doing here? Playing tiddlywinks. What are you doing here? What does it look like? Playing dice, stupid. Don't get funny. Joe, for Pete's sake, don't start anything here. You know the boss don't like it. Stay out of this, Sam. Okay, Rogue, you don't want to talk? You can walk. Where to? You wanted to go backstage. Okay, this gun will show you the way. We'll return to Rogue's Gallery in a moment. But now, a word to the men. Your face is something that accompanies you wherever you go. So every man wants a face that's smooth-shaven, without nicks and scars. If you're the type whose super-sensitive skin makes shaving a chore, try Fitch's No-Brush Shaving Cream next time. It has a special skin conditioning action that lubricates your skin the instant it's applied. This skin conditioning action protects your skin from irritation and allows you to shave in solid comfort. After your shave... Your face will feel so cool and refreshed and look so smooth, you'll be proud to take it places. And men, Fitch's No Brush Shaving Cream has a creamy, non-greasy texture. It won't clog the razor or the drain. If you're a man who swears there's nothing like leather for a smooth, comfortable shave, try Fitch's Brush Cream. It, too, has the special skin conditioning action that's such a treat for sensitive skin. Both Fitch's Brush and Fitch's No Brush Shaving Cream Come in big 25 and 50 cent sizes. For solid comfort shaving, switch to Fitch. Now back to Dick Powell as private investigator Richard Rogue in Rogue's Gallery. I was looking for an angel. And just when it turned out Madge really was one, with wings and crown and all and all... A gun poked me in the stomach. I looked up and saw Joe on the other end of it. Seems my phone call to his skull must have been a bum connection. Because there he was, walking around again, friendly as a toothache. He took me to a back office and shoved me in a chair. No use looking around, Rogue. There ain't no phone in this place. How'd you know to come here? Uh, a little bird told me. Yeah, jailbird. Mike Royal told you, didn't he? And he told you where the jewels were, too, didn't he? Maybe. Yeah. And he told you about me and Madge, too, didn't he? Maybe. And you were going to turn us over to the cops, weren't you? It's a weed burn, too, weren't you? I'll take it easy, will you, Joe? And you were going to get the stones and collect all the dough yourself, weren't you? Give me a chance to explain, will you, Joe? I ain't very smart. You can out-talk me, but you can't out-talk this hunk of lead. Relax, Joe. Maybe I know something that'll do you some good. Oh, sure. 
You know too much. That's why I'm going to kill you. Joe, you fool. Why did you bring him here? Who brought him? He hits me over the head with a telephone. When I come to, he's gone. I ran over to tell you and found him nosing around, shooting dice. Now I'm going to kill the rat. Don't do it, Joe. I'm going to kill the Don't rat. Don't do it. Not here. What if he tipped the police? Yeah, get out of my way. What do you want, the chair? Give me one more chance with him, Joe. Rogue, where are the diamonds? Are you going to talk or not? I'll talk. Go ahead. But not with this ape in the room. Get out, Joe. No, no, you don't. I don't sit still for no double cross between you two. I'm staying here. If you're going to talk, talk. I don't talk with a gun crowding my tonsils. Tell this bug to put it away. Put it away, Joe. Now put a slug into him. Put it away, I said. All right, Rogue. Where are we going to get the diamonds? From an angel. Angels again. You know what I mean, don't you, Angel? No. I'm telling you that's all I know. All right, Joe. Do it your way, but not with a gun. Slug him. We'll drag him out to the car like we were walking a drunk. Then we'll finish him. Wait. Can't we, uh... Go ahead. I got him covered. Look, I'm telling you the truth. All right, George Washington. There's a little phone bill I owe you. No. No. Wait. Joe. Joe, there are the diamonds. What? There they are. Madge is wearing them. What are you talking about? Mike told me an angel would hand them to me. Madge is the angel, Joe. Look at the way she's dressed. Those are the jewels in her crown. Four of them, see? You're crazy. These jewels are paste. No, they're not. Listen, Joe. Mike worked here, didn't he? Gave the girls their props. They've been doing this number at the club since before Mike was put away. There were four stones, weren't there? There are four in that crown. Look at those stones, Joe. They're real. Madge. Give me that crown. Don't fall for that, Joe. Finish him off. Didn't I tell you before an angel had them? Yeah, you said it before. You dim boob, can't you see, stalling? She knows it's true, Joe. She's going to try to pull a double cross. Give me that crown. Wait a minute, Joe. Don't let her get out of this room with those stones, Joe. She'll double cross his boat. Cut it out, rogue. You're getting Joe excited. He doesn't know what he's doing half the time anyway. Give me that crown. Listen to me. I'm still running the show, and you're going to take my orders. You'd have burned with Mike tonight if it weren't for me. Shut up. You just watch this monkey until I get back. Keep your gun on him. You ain't leaving this room with that crown. Don't be nuts. Edge. Let go of me. Look out, Joe! Too late, baby. I've got him. Hey! You're breaking my arm. I will if you don't drop that gun. Madge, get this guy off me. Okay, let go of the rope. Oh, no, you don't, baby. Oh, claws, huh? Okay, break it up. Break it up. I've got you covered, all of you. Hey, cops. Urban. <sighs> Urban. Where did you come from? Well, the switchboard girl at your hotel called me when you didn't answer after your phone fell off the hook. I got to your room in time to see this lug stagger out. I tailed him here. But I didn't know where you were until I heard the scuffle. Now, what the devil is going on anyway? Well, I'll, I'll explain in a minute, Urban. I... First, there's a little unfinished business to attend. Yeah, uh, what's that? Just this. Ooh. Ah, little Joy Boy's been asking for that all night. I... I'm sorry I can't oblige you too, Madge, but uh, I'm a gentleman. Darn it. Hey, Rogue, what gives? Well, Urban... You'll probably be pleased to know that my little playmates here are the Marist Jewel Thieves. Yeah? Yeah. Now, Madge, if you'll just give the nice man the crown you're wearing... No, no, you don't. Listen, baby. I could forget about being a gentleman very easily. Give it to him. Here you... That's better. Okay, O'Brien, take these two down and book them on suspicion. Come on, you two. Now, Rogie, what's this crown business? That, my friend, is a death house legacy. A ten grand windfall to a skinny little kid. Huh? Mike Royal knew where the Marist jewels were. He wanted to tell me so I could turn them in and split the reward with his kid. But he knew his pals would be laying for me. And he knew they'd try to beat out of me whatever he told me. But what I didn't know, I couldn't tell. Under fists or bullets. So? So, all he told me was that an angel would hand them to me. He hoped they wouldn't be able to figure it out, and I would. And uh, you did? I certainly did. As usual, I might say. And there are the jewels in that crown. In this crown? Rogue, are you kidding? These are paste. Ten-cent store stuff. I know diamonds when I see them. Oh, let's not go through that again. Those are diamonds. Yeah? Suppose I pound them a little with my gun. If they're diamonds, it won't hurt them. Go ahead. Look. That's one. There's a second one, Rogie. Oh. Oh, brother. Well, it's like a one, Rogie, or do we just go home? You win, Urban. Let's, uh, let's get out of here. Oh, 
Ah, the Cherub Club. Well, I'm glad to see the outside of this place. <laughs> the Maris Jewels. Oh, brother, telling me about diamonds. Thanks for the lumps, lady. Hey, Rogie, who are you talking to? The angel on that sign up there. That sign... Hey, uh, hey, Urban. You say you know costume jewelry when you see it? A mile away. Huh? Well, take a look at that sign up there. See the stars in that angel's hand? See how bright they are? Now, what would you say they were? Four glitter stones. From the five and ten? From the five and ten. Ah, get yourself a ladder, Urban. Climb it and take the Maris jewels out of that angel's hand. Well, I, uh, I knew it all the time. I, I was kidding about the crown. You see, Mike didn't tell me an angel would give them to me. He said an angel would hand them to me. Smart, wasn't I? <laughs> yes, I found the jewels all right. Mike Royal, the club handyman, had put them in the angel's hand when he knew the police were closing in. And Mike's daughter in the parochial school got the ten grand all right. And Joe and Mads got theirs too, life. And me? Well, I took my five grand and had a wonderful time. Went right back to the galloping dominoes at the Cherub Club. Tried all night long, but I never did make my point. You know, that four is hard to make. Even the easy way. You know what I mean? This is Dick Polligan, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you liked our story tonight. Thanks for listening, and now, once again, here's Jim Doyle. Be with us again at the same time next week, and be sure to see Dick Powell in his latest RKO picture, Cornered, at your local theater. Remember, tune in next Thursday, same time, same station, when you will again hear Dick Powell as private investigator Richard Rogue in Rogue's Gallery. Remember, if dandruff is your problem, ask for Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo. It's the only shampoo made whose guarantee to remove dandruff is backed by one of the world's largest insurance firms. No other shampoo can make this statement. Ask for Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo at your drug or toilet goods counter, beauty or barber shop. Fitch is spelled F-I-T-C-H. There's more danger with Granger Rogues Gallery case closed and all of the other Relic Radio podcasts all at relicradio.com. Got a shoutcast stream up and running there as well with even more old-time radio. Lots to listen to there. If you'd like to help support it all, visit donate.relicradio.com or click on one of the links on the website. Your support makes it all happen. Thank you, as always, to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this Wednesday. I'll be back next Wednesday with another hour of Case Closed.